Please open your Bibles this morning to Philippians chapter 2. Actually, I'd like to read a verse from Philippians chapter 1. And it is our purpose today for us to understand this verse in practical application for our lives. Philippians chapter 1, it's a short verse. I hope that you'll all know it and never forget it before this day is done. It's the 21st verse. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul said it and meant it. I say it and mean it and want to mean it more. And I hope that you can say it and mean it. For to you to live is what? Marriage. How vain and foolish. For you to live is a house. A business, success, status, happiness. Oh no, for to live is Christ. And so for you it ought to be, for to me to live is Christ. Right. And I want to help you this morning, and me, by looking at how we can practically live for Jesus Christ. Amen. I hope that the sermons in recent weeks have done enough to motivate you to want to live for Jesus Christ. Let's consider the simplicity of how we actually do it. And it is not difficult. I said earlier from Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14, but God forbid, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. God forbid any of you to glory in anything but the cross of Jesus Christ. That has got to be the central theme of this assembly and the central theme of your life. Amen. The central theme of my ministry, the central theme of your prayers, the central theme of your marriages, the central theme in your family with your children. God forbid that we should glory in anything else. A peaceful family? No, peace with Jesus Christ. A rich bank account? No, the riches of Christ in glory. For to me to live is Christ. For to you to live is what? I hope it's Jesus Christ with me. We have seen some Bible characters like Mary Magdalene. And the last time I was with you was two weeks ago, and some of you were greatly moved. And it greatly encouraged me to see your desire to be like Mary Magdalene or to be like Anna or to be like one of those saints that loved God and his son, Jesus Christ, more than most. Remember, there is a comparison to be made. Some love a little, some love more, and some love most. Simon Peter claimed to love most, and so Jesus confronted him as I taught you two weeks ago in John 21 and verse 15, lovest thou me more than these? And I hope that we do. And I hope that the desire in your soul 
is to excel your brethren in the love of Jesus Christ. No harm done if we're all competing by that measure. Everything else will fall by the wayside. What a church we shall have if that is our desire. But there's not only Mary Magdalene, there's Paul. Can there be a comparison made to Paul who pursued the Lord with such zeal as the New Testament describes, willing to take any amount of pain, suffering, loneliness, nakedness, cold, perils of robbers, anything that he might know Christ and to count all of his natural attainments and accomplishments loss and dung. I want to, by the grace of God, help you Think about how you can do it in your life, that we might be exceptional Christians, those that truly love Jesus Christ. Eternal life is to know him. Right. Look at John chapter 17 with me. John chapter 17. John chapter 17. It is amazing how confusing men are when they don't read the Bible, rightly divide it, and pray for understanding, and seek the glory of God in it. They think that Jesus died because he felt sorry for sinners on their way to hell. That is such a bizarre and blasphemous thought. Yes, it is. Right. If he didn't want souls to go to hell, why did he ever create the Garden of Eden and give a commandment that in the day thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die? All of the universe and all of the record that we have in the Word of God, the, the great drama that is being played out, is for the glory of God. Amen. The Lord hath made all things for Himself, yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. We cannot slip from that. Right. And so when we look for the purpose of eternal life, it was not that God felt sorry for us. If He felt sorry for us, why didn't He feel sorry for the angels, right. who were greater in power and might than we are? He saved men that they might know Him and they could only know the riches of His grace and His loving kindness if He first of all allowed them to get themselves into a mess and then powerfully saved them from it. Amen. Isn't that simple? Amen. John chapter 17, Jesus said in His prayer to His Father in heaven, He said in verse 2, As thou hast given Him, speaking of Himself, power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. God gave eternal life so that we would know him, the only true God, and his son Jesus, whom he sent into the world. Because without eternal life, none of us would ever know him. None of us would ever seek Him. None of us would ever understand. There would never be a relationship between us to where we could call Him Father and bless Him when we call Him Father and praise Him and with joyful lips thank Him for His loving kindness. That is why He saved us. This is life eternal that they might know Thee. It is not life eternal that they might go meet their relatives in heaven. This is life eternal that they might know Thee, the only true God and His Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. And do you know what? That knowledge of God and His Son, Jesus Christ, is what the apostles labored for. Right. I'll read just a few. 
There'll be an outline available where you can get many more verses to see that the great theme of the apostles was prayer and labor that we might know Jesus Christ personally. Amen. Let's first of all look at Philippians 3.8. Philippians 3.8. And if you say to me, I heard these verses two weeks ago, and I heard these verses last Sunday, and I know that, I want you to see the overwhelming passion of Paul's soul. Right. Again, verse 8, Paul wrote, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of all the fine points of doctrine in the New Testament. No, Paul counted all things loss without a doubt for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. Amen. For whom, personal, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. Right. Now some of you are trying to win others in this assembly. And we've all spent our time trying to win people in the past. To win a mate. To win a boyfriend. To win a girlfriend. I want to tell you something. There's someone you ought to be trying to win before that. Amen. And above that. Right. And forever. And that's to win Jesus Christ. We win here in this world by loving more than anyone else, don't we? Right. By giving better gifts by being more passionate, by being more faithful, by being more loyal. Paul counted it all loss that he might win Christ. Amen. And be found in him not having my own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him. That's what I'm preaching to you this morning. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable Unto his death. Look at Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. This is just introductory to remind you that the great thrust of the New Testament is to know God and his son Jesus Christ. And when we get distracted from that, we're in deep trouble. We end up in carnal living because we're not keeping the focus on the being of God and his son Jesus Christ. We've been there before and we've done that, brother. We're not doing it again Amen. as long as I'm your pastor Amen. and the Lord does not desert me. Right. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 14. Listen to the, the soul of the apostle for another church. For this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Christ is not a theological concept. Jesus Christ is the man, Christ Jesus, and by His Spirit He can dwell in your hearts by faith. That ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, 
that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Amen. That's in the middle of the book. Right. What do you think he got like when he got to the end? That's the end of chapter 3. This was, this was his prayer for the Ephesian saints. And now all of you this morning are sitting in chairs. Your ears are not stopped up with cotton, I hope. But you're all going to make a choice as to how important Jesus Christ is to you this morning. Right. To live is Christ. For to me to live is Christ. And I hope you can hear those words. And I hope that in your soul there's a longing to love him even more. And therefore you want to hear what we're going to consider this day so that we can love him more. I could read so many more passages where the prayer of the apostle was that they might know Christ, be filled with all the fullness of... No way. That's got to be an error in translation. How could we be filled with all the fullness of God? He fills heaven and earth, Jeremiah tells us. Because he's the infinite God and he can infinitely come to you in a way that the world cannot understand. He had to tell his apostles that when he was here on earth because they wanted to know how he could manifest himself to them and the world wouldn't see him. And he said basically, trust me, love me and obey me and I will come and dwell in you and abide with you and my father will come and dwell with you and abide with you. That's too good to be true. But it is true. And we believe it to be true. Did he create us and and make us a church so that we could practice Bible economics? Yes. And in its proper place. Did he create us, save us, and form us into a church that we might condemn baby sprinkling as a heresy from hell? Yes, in its proper place. He created us and saved us and formed us into a church that we might come together and love him together and seek him together. And by his spirit, he would possess this church and every one of you together would become the members of a body that fills up him into his fullness. Right. And it's a mystery. What I want to define living for Christ as this morning is to live to know him better and to live to present him better to the world. Two different aspects of living for Jesus Christ. One is looking that we want more of him. We want to live for Christ in the sense that we want to live and order our affairs so that we might know him better. The other aspect is we want to order our affairs and live for him in such a way that we please him more and present him better to the world. They're, they're different but we want them both. We want to know him better in our souls so that he fills us with all the fullness of God and that we know him completely as Paul desired. And we also want the world to see him, that we are Christians not because we checked the box on our employment application or some other form, but because we look, act, talk, think like the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're bored with the sermon this morning, there's one of two problems. There could be more, but I don't think so. There's one of two. You're a child of hell, so you have no interest in him. 
or you're a carnal Christian. Right. And a carnal Christian doesn't care either because he's got himself in love with the world and cannot see that he's been purged from his old sins and that Jesus Christ deserves his whole heart and soul. So I just put you in one of two categories if you don't love to hear about Jesus Christ. Nothing to do with my eloquence, my organization, my points, nothing. It has to do with how much you love Jesus Christ. Amen. If you love him this morning, you'll get something. Amen. Because the Spirit of God will make sure you get something. Amen. Whether this ass, or as I, was, as I was corrected this morning, this ox, says it the right way or not. I am not chasing some abstract metaphysical extreme this morning, though blind hearts will think so. I fear carnal Christianity more than anything in this assembly because I've seen what it's done to us in the past. The Savior warned that in the days following his crucifixion, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. And iniquity is abounding in America and because of that same principle, the love of many shall wax cold. How many truly love the Lord Jesus Christ? And you know, brethren, here's, here's the joy of it. If you don't love him as much this morning as you know you should, tell him right now while I'm preaching right. that you're sorry you don't love him as much as you should. Amen. And will he come to you and help you love him more? Amen. I promise you on the authority of his word, repeat it over and over again that he will come to you. Right. He will come to you. So don't fear Pray and seek Him with me. I do not want us to have a mental contentment with doctrine. We can, we can prove the mode of baptism over and over and over and over again. But I don't want us to have mental contentment in that. The devils know that immersion in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God is the true form of baptism. So what? It does them no good. It's a devilish faith that's content with a mental Knowledge of doctrine. I don't want us to be content with having assemblies and going through a form. I do not want us to be content with living one half day for the Lord and six and a half days for ourselves. Every moment of every day ought to be lived for the Lord Jesus Christ, and we want to consider that today as to how we actually go about doing that. But that's what our goal ought to be. The true love of Jesus Christ... Passion for Jesus Christ is the true measure of spiritual religion and knowing Jesus Christ. It's true spiritually mindedness to love the glory of Jesus Christ. It is not a vague concept. He is a very specific man in heaven. Yes, he is God in the flesh, but he is a man in heaven on a throne and we want to know him and his glories and his perfections and seek him and serve him better. We want Christ-centric lives. That means that Jesus Christ is the center of everything we do. This sermon is not all that different from others I've preached. To God be the glory. If you'll go back and listen to that, you'll hear the same thing, just from a different angle. Because it's all the diamond of Jesus Christ. He is precious. And He ought to be the center of doing the dishes, mopping the floor, or loving your spouse that hurts your feelings 90 minutes ago. It doesn't matter. Right. Jesus Christ is the center of it all. And he should be. And if he's not, we have failed. And I have failed as your pastor, but I'm going to try, by the grace of God, to move you all to a Christ-centric life. Amen. Let's turn to John chapter 12. Let's turn to John chapter 12. 
How do we live for Jesus Christ like Paul and like you are exhorting us to live? First of all, and this is so simple, this is so simple, you'll think that it's trivial. We make the choice to seek Christ. Right. Nothing else. The first thing we do is the choice to seek Jesus Christ. Look at John chapter 12 and verse 20. And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. The same came therefore to Philip, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew, and again Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. Now I think these Greeks that had come up to worship at the feast should have been rather happy that they got to meet an apostle. The way the Catholics act, they're all happy to meet apostles. They're happy to meet St. Adelia. You can look at her medal on the back table. And they're happy that St. Adelia will pray for them. Here were some Greeks that met Philip. Were they thankful? Were they content? Not at all. Sir, we would see Jesus. And I hope that every Sunday morning when you come in here and your pastor gets up, in in your hearts you're saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. And you'll have one obedient servant. And if you're all praying for that end, Lord, help our sir that he'll help us see Jesus. We're all headed in the, in the same direction, the right direction, for the glory of God. Amen. Sir, we would see Jesus. Remember these words, brethren. Do you know how many words Jesus spoke? Do you know how many words were spoken about Jesus Christ? Do you know how few were recorded? That was recorded for our learning. Right. What else does it tell us about these men? Nothing. Nothing. What else do we know about these Greeks? Do you know what? I like these Greeks. All it tells me is, sir, we would see Jesus. I hope that that is a good testimony of us. Look at Luke chapter 10. If you're familiar with some of these passages, in all politeness and kindness I care not. Because I want to remind you of this great central theme that we must keep before us, and that's to seek Jesus Christ. Amen. The first thing we do is to seek Him, to make Him the aim instead of anything else religious. Luke chapter 10 and verse 38, Now it came to pass, as they went, that He entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received Him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving, and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my servant hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Praise God. Look at Jesus Christ come to the aid of a lazy woman that didn't want to do anything but sit at the feet of Jesus and hear His Word. I love that. And if you let something slip in your household, not because you're turning like a door on its hinges in your bed, but because you're spending more time 
with the Lord Jesus Christ, God be praised for such a choice. The day that the dust on the top of your refrigerator is more important than the day of seeking Jesus Christ, you are twisted and perverse. Now, surely, if Jesus Christ is in your soul, you can move fast enough to get to the top of the refrigerator, too, during the day. But I love this right here, brethren, and I don't care that you're familiar with it. I don't care how well you know it. I want you to look about it, and I want you to consider it. Why does the Lord want us to know about Mary and Martha, one all frustrated and distracted with making sure that there was going to be food for everyone. And oh, so women get so carried away with all their domestic responsibilities and they must get carried away to a certain degree because if they weren't, we would all fall apart. But Mary chose the better part. And you know what she chose? The thing that is needful. And you know what the needful thing is? To sit at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that takes time. He's not here in presence. So we must sit down at his feet and tell him that we're at his feet and ask him to come to us, ask him to speak to us, take his word, pray, confess our sins, and wait upon him to speak to our souls. Sit at the feet of Jesus Christ. Now, if any of my grand and glorious men that are brethren in this assembly feel that that's effeminate to sit at the feet of Jesus Christ, May I remind you that the picture that I have in my head when I sit at the feet of Jesus is often one of him riding on a white horse with a vesture dipped in blood and a sword proceeding with two edges out of his mouth and the name that is written on his thigh is called the word of God and the armies of heaven follow him and he destroys the earth and all of its inhabitants in his glorious ride. There's nothing effeminate about sitting at the feet of Jesus. May I sit at the feet of Jesus. No one should think that way of Mary or any man that would want to be like Mary. Sisters, art thou careful and troubled about many things? You've got many things in your lives. Is your life Christ-centric? Is Jesus Christ the chief aim? When you get up in the morning or all the things that you are careful and troubled about. Men, are you careful and troubled about many things? There is nothing, no trouble nor care in your life as important as the needful thing, that good part, which she chose and Jesus said, shall not be taken away from her. I love Mary. I pity Martha. And I hope that we can pray for the Marthas, and I hope that you'll pray for yourselves if you're a Martha that you can become a Mary by the grace of God. We do not need a religion, brethren. We need a relationship. So many today are going for religion. I'm a Baptist. Well, big deal. Big deal. There's lots of Baptists that know nothing of Christ. We need a relationship. How well do you know him? Does he live with you? Does he abide in you? Is the fullness of God in you? So much more important than just having a religion. We want a relationship. What are you looking for today? Brethren, we want more than doctrine for theology. We cannot become distracted by focusing on doctrine for theology. We cannot focus on Proverbs for wisdom. Is there great wisdom in Proverbs? No doubt. Is it valuable for our lives? No doubt. But what should we seek first? Jesus Christ. So that always, my first point, 
It's a choice to seek Jesus Christ rather than wisdom from Proverbs, rather than doctrine for theology. We want to seek the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and love him personally. Is he your portion forever above all else? What chapter might I be referring to in the Bible? Is he your portion forever? Do you desire him more than any on earth or in heaven? Psalm 73, 25 and 26. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none that I desire upon earth but thee. My heart and my flesh faileth, but thou art the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That's what Jesus Christ ought to be. And there's more verses like that. A man after God's own heart, David, would speak of God being his portion forever. Why do I encourage some of you to memorize that verse? Because it's so good to keep Christ central in your life. What is he to you? Look at 1 Peter chapter 2. What is Jesus Christ to you? We must make a choice. How offensive is the cross and Jesus to us? It shouldn't be offensive at all. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. To whom coming, as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God, and precious. If you highlight in your Bible, just watch how many times we hit that word in the next three verses. He is chosen of God and precious. Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders were disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. It is by the grace of God that you would ever consider Jesus Christ to be precious, but do we actually speak of him that way, think of him that way? It's a choice. Jesus is precious. God said he was precious. He is indeed precious for what he's done. I'm going to make him precious in my life. There are things in your life that you have allowed to become precious. You must make Jesus Christ precious. When Jesus healed the Gadarene, the crowd of people came out of that town, saw what had been done. They'd lost a few pigs. And they saw him sitting there clothed and in his right mind. Right. And they told Jesus they wanted him to leave their coast. Yep. But there was a Gadarene that didn't want to leave the Amen. coast. He wanted to go with them. And he besought the Lord. Yep. Lord, may I go with you? Don't leave me here. And he said, go home to your house. Tell them what great things I've done for you. But look at the difference. The whole city, seeing the power of God, wants Jesus out of their coast. But the Gadarene wants to be with him. Do you want to be with him? Is he precious to you? He was precious to the Gadarene. When you read the Bible, 
And we'll look at that more closely later. When What do you prefer to see? What do you prefer to see in your mind as you consider spiritual things? Do you prefer to see David killing Goliath or Jesus preaching the Sermon on the Mount? Do you prefer to see Daniel in the lion's den or Jesus on the road to Emmaus? Where would you rather be? Watching the lions eat the men that tried to kill Daniel? Or would you rather talk to two people that had just had the scriptures open to them by the Lord himself and who hid himself from their sight. What do you prefer? It's a choice that we're always making that Jesus Christ is central. So we want to seek Christ. Are the crucifixion passages some of your favorites? If they're not, why not? If someone of this world loved you, and did something great and noble and expensive for you, you would consider it all the time and you'd want to tell everyone else about it. Jesus Christ died the most painful death possible, not only in the physical realm, but in the spiritual, for you. It should be the joy of our hearts. That's why Galatians 6.14, God forbid, God forbid, that we should glory in anything but the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right. From the inside out, we have to sacrifice our other desires and cultivate this desire to know Jesus Christ. This was something that Paul prayed for, for the saints in these various churches. This is something that Paul continued to want to do. He said, I don't consider myself to have apprehended. If you go on further in Philippians chapter 3, even Paul said, I have not attained to what I want to attain. I continue to press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He wasn't content. It's a pressing and a choice that I am going to make Jesus Christ chief in my life. He's going to be precious to me. And I'm going to learn more of him and seek more and pray for more from him. It is easy to be a Christian, quote, unquote, and not know what I'm talking about. Because a Christian, quote, unquote, is nothing. It's someone who truly loves Jesus Christ that proves they've been bought by him and are his sons and daughters. Are you spiritually minded? Now that's a difference. Do you consider the spiritual truths about Jesus Christ the most important thing? Do you know there's a verse in the Bible often abused, Revelation 3.20? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And oh, they'll, they'll abuse that verse. It's, it's abused everywhere in this city, this country, and around the world. They take that verse and they paint a picture of a hippie standing at some wooden door, knocking pitifully in such weakness. That verse... It's not about a hippie, and he's not standing at some heart's door of a sinner wanting entrance. Revelation 3.20 is addressed to a church, and it says, if any man. Now the men are not outside the church. The men are within the church. If any man will open the door and let me come in, I will come in and will sup with him and he with me. Sup is to have supper. Supper is to have some bread and wine together with the Lord Jesus Christ in your soul. That is a choice. If any man, 
and that is not addressed to the world. Revelation 3.20 was not written to sinners. Amen. Right. There are these little men that go around thinking that they're going to add names to the book of life by their efforts. That use verses like that and twist them out of all context to serve their little purposes. But we want to take that verse and we want to use it for the purpose it was intended. And that is in a church of Jesus Christ, there can be a lack of fellowship with him. And so Jesus speaks to that church in Revelation 3.20 and says, I stand at the door and knock. That's how close he is. You don't have to call him up. You don't have to wait for him to be in town to come and have fellowship with you. He's at your door. All you have to do is open it. It's a choice. I want that fellowship with Jesus Christ. And I exhort all of you to make it right now. I want that relationship with Jesus Christ. It has nothing to do with eternal life except eternal life was so that you could have this relationship. Revelation 3.20. There's its proper use. No one has ever sought the Lord and been denied. And so the first choice we make is to seek Jesus Christ and he will be found of us. Look at Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. For to me to live is Christ. For to you to live is what? I hope it's Christ also. For to me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. Why is it gain? Then I'm with Christ. You say, I, I hear the words. I like the words. I believe the words are noble sounding. And I believe the words are describing a great relationship with Christ, but I don't know that I have that. That's why I'm preaching. I'm, I'm going to work my way through. I don't care how long it takes me. I don't care if we end up on this one until the day he comes for us. Amen. And, we for, and we don't even learn. We don't even learn what the king of the north and the king of the south and Gog and Magog are in the book of Ezekiel. Yes, I'm fascinated with those things too in a pitiful little recesses of my soul. But the thing we ought to be chiefly concerned with is right here. Oh yes, Gog and Magog. We need to work on that. I'll spend all week this next week studying Gog and Magog. And we'll come together next Sunday. We'll put an ad in the paper Gog and Magog revealed. We'll have a full house and you'll all be sitting on the edge of your chairs. It's a shame. Carnal men can get excited about learning Gog and Magog because then they can go to work or to their churches and tell them that they've got a new thing. I've got something that's new every day. And that's to know Jesus Christ. He will come to you over and over and over again when you open that door and invite him in to sup. He'll come. He's there. He's at the door. Can he? If you don't want him, he's not going to force himself in. He's there. Knocking. Colossians chapter 3. We first of all seek Christ. And so we start to live this way. Colossians 3.17. I'm going to be as detailed as I can as we go forward. Colossians 3.17 says, And whatsoever ye do that is of a spiritual nature in word or deed, and I do that not to be funny with the word of God, I do that to catch your attention and make you understand what the true sense of the words are. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, without any qualification, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, 
giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. And servants are told to work on the job no matter how dirty, filthy, and despicable your job is. Verse 24, Knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. Amen. When you're on the job, you're serving the Lord Christ. No matter what you're doing. Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's a Christ-centered life. Everything. Relations with your wife. Raking the leaves in the yard. Driving your vehicle. Cleaning a gutter. Building a fire. Eating a meal. Washing the dishes. Everything. Whatsoever you do in word or deed. Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. So that we're saying His name all the time. In the name of the Lord Jesus, I'm doing this. In our, in our heart, Lord Jesus, I'm doing this for you. Right. Lord Jesus, I'm doing this because of you. Lord Jesus, I'm doing this with you. Lord Jesus, I'm doing this by you. Everything we do. And if we ever got that gripping our souls, everything, beca- every task becomes easy and pleasant because Christ is with us. How, how do you measure the love of anything? I know, I know I've taught you one thing. What will you exchange for it? Because that's the, a rule of economics. What will you give in exchange for a thing determines the value of that particular thing. But I'm asking you something else right now. How do we measure the love of anything? Is it not the time that you give toward it? Is it not the speech of wanting to talk about it? Is it not the passion toward it? I mean the fervent enthusiasm. If you really love something, you are excited about it. Is it the money you will pay for it? Is it the loyalty you will show toward it? All of that is how we measure the love of anything, of anyone. And that should indicate how much we love Jesus Christ. The choice is, what I'm saying to you right now, point number one in living for Christ, for to me to live is Christ, to do it is to make a choice for Christ in the way of dedicating more time to Him, speaking of Him more often, having more passion for Him by considering what He's done for us. Spending more money for Him. Being more loyal to Him instead of letting things take us away and steal our affection and attention away from Him. We sing, I gave my life for Thee. What hast Thou done for me? Are they mere words? God save us. If we're coming in here with the knowledge He's given us by His grace and mercy and we're singing, I gave my life for Thee. That is so personal, brethren. That is not a congregation addressing Him as a congregation. That's individuals addressing Him individually and speaking His words to us. I gave my life for Thee. What hast Thou done for me? The first thing is to choose that Jesus Christ is going to be first in your life. You're going to open that door. You're going to do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus. You're not looking for religion. You want a relationship. And so you make that your choice. I want a relationship with God rather than just a religion that holds the truth. The next thing you've got to do is pray without ceasing for that. The next thing we do is pray without ceasing. For you that need to take notes, go ahead and take them. I'm going to have lots of verses for you and lots of, and an outline that hopefully we can use to stay in our course of pursuing Jesus Christ. Right. I do not want a church that is not Christ-centric. Amen. I do not care how much doctrine. 
I do not care how socially loving we are. I do not care how enthusiastically we might sing four-part harmony. We want a Christ-centric church. Then we'll want some loving brethren and some four-part harmony and some zeal. But first... It's Christ and doctrine. We love doctrine because it's the doctrine in the Bible are the wholesome words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. That's right. I was not always taught that order by the man who ordained me. My parents did live that order. Though they were often distracted with Arminian soul winning mechanisms and distractions. I've never seen them complain, and they gave their lives and counted all things loss. For the knowledge of Christ Jesus their Lord, and I am not preaching for them nor trying to flatter them, but telling you that I saw it in my life. They had a 48th anniversary. This I'm just thinking of this now that they told me about in the last couple of days. Their 48th anniversary from when my father proposed to my mother. And his words were, on a cold winter night in New York State, will you serve the Lord with me for the rest of your life? Amen. That's a proposal. That's a marriage. That is a brother leading about a sister. Amen. That's, that's Christ-centric, central wouldn't you say? Yes. Will you serve the Lord with me for the rest of your life? Amen. Brethren, when we go to prayer... Point two is pray without ceasing. Right. We're told to do that. Yep. Does that mean for your job? Oh, if you've got time, pray for your job. Does that mean for a bigger house? No, it doesn't. Right. There's probably a time where you could pray for a bigger house if you really needed it. As long as Christ is first, what I want to say to you is, pray to know Jesus Christ. Isn't that a prayerful spirit of Paul when he said, I count, doubtless I count all things lost, that I might win Christ, that I might know Him. That's the prayer of his heart and his prayer for the Ephesians and many texts that I did not read to you. His desire was to know Jesus Christ. Therefore, when we go to pray, if all we're trying to do is consume things upon our lusts, your prayer is not going to go anywhere. Right. Don't make the things that you want or need the emphasis of your prayer. Make Christ the emphasis of your prayer. And I'll tell you what he'll want to do. He'll want to show you how good and loving and kind and generous and rich he is. Seek him first, and all these things shall be added unto you. So when we get down to pray, it's, Lord, I want to know you better. And that may not even be a part of your prayer. Lord Jesus, I do not know you as well as I want to. Please come in to to me and sup with me. Dwell with me. Draw closer to me. I want to know you better. I want to know more about you. Show me yourself from your word. Show me yourself by your spirit. Teach me about yourself. Cause me to love you more. Never leave me. Fill me with your grace and your goodness. Amen. That's a better prayer than asking for all the things you want for yourself. Right. 
but I hope you want that for yourself with your whole heart. When was the last time you prayed for the Holy Ghost to fill and teach you about the Lord Jesus Christ? This is not just a light rhetorical question. It's a serious rhetorical question. When was the last time you prayed for the Holy Ghost to fill you and teach you about Jesus Christ? I hope some of you can say, well, about 13 times since you began this sermon. Amen. And I hope the rest of you can say, before I got here this morning, God help us if it's longer than that. I'm not, I'm not in any hurry. So let's turn to Luke chapter 11. This is the message of the Bible. If we're not going to have a church this way and I'm not going to have a ministry this way, I am quitting. It's that simple. We do it the right way or we're not going to do it at all together. Right. It's all or nothing for Christ. All or nothing. He said, I count all things but loss, and I have suffered the loss of all things. Doubtless. And I count them but dung. It was an all or nothing proposition. And that's loving him with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, without a doubt. I come over to Luke chapter 11, where Jesus is exhorting his disciples on how they ought to pray, trusting their heavenly Father that he would give them better gifts than any earthly father who is a sinner would give to his children. And he says in verse 13, If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Do you believe that verse? Now, there's a couple things about this verse. First of all, Jesus slips an assumption in on us. It doesn't read this way. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give a larger house, a bigger car, and a prettier wife to them that ask Him? It's the Holy Spirit. It's an assumption of His that... Righteous men will be praying for the Holy Ghost. The promise is, He will abundantly deliver. Amen. Now, there's a third unspoken point from this verse. What is the purpose of the Holy Ghost in this world? And why would a man want the Holy Ghost? To testify and be the personal dwelling presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not spoken here, but understood by the rest of the New Testament that the Holy Spirit's ministry is to be the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, it is expedient for you that I go away. But if I go away, I will send the Comforter to you that we may abide with you forever. That's why we pray for the Holy Ghost. So point two, on living for Christ. For to me to live is Christ. For to you to live, I hope, is Christ. Point two is we pray for it. Lord, send your Holy Spirit and show Jesus Christ to me. Look at Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Pray without ceasing. Ephesians 6. I've heard many words in my short life on the verses 10 through 17. Many, many words. I've seen many, many books written on the verses 10 through 17. 
the verses 10 through 17 are not all that difficult to understand. I don't know why so many pages are written. The key, though, to profiting from verses 10 through 17 is in verse 18. And I've tried to point this out to you. My point right now is we've got to pray for this. So once we take this armor to us, and there is an adversary, there is an adversary that cannot stand the man Christ Jesus. Satan hates the Lord Jesus Christ. Satan knows he's an angel. Satan knows that Jesus Christ is a man. And Satan wants to try to work over the human nature of the Lord Jesus Christ and get him to fail. He did it after his baptism for 40 days and 40 nights. He tried on the cross. He tried at other times by taking his disciples' hearts away so that Jesus was left all alone. And that, ma- that, that being, Satan does not want us to have a Christ-centric life. He is walking about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We are to be sober and to be vigilant. And then we're told to put this armor on. But the key is what we're doing. There's a position you can be in where Satan finds it very unnerving. Very frightening. And it's not with you memorizing a Bible and calling it your 66 Magnum. Now there's a time for that. Once in a while, but the main thing we want to be found on is on our knees. And then you're invoking the power and the personal companionship and the presence of that glorious Son of God on his white stallion. Right. And I want to tell you something. There's no opponent or foe in heaven or in earth that can even stand to look at him when he's angry. Amen. Let that fill your souls and love him. He hung on a cross to destroy the works of the devil. The moment when Satan thought he was the weakest, he was the strongest. And because, and he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Colossians chapter two. Here's the position we ought to be in. Verse 18, praying always with all prayer. What in the, what kind of language is that? Praying always with all prayer. Couldn't he just have said praying always? Couldn't he have just said all prayer? He said praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. And watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Now there's a lot of alls in there. And there's an always. Praying always with all prayer. And watching thereunto with all perseverance, not quitting, not stopping. And you know, the once, as you begin to seek Jesus Christ and make your life Christ-centric and pray for that, it becomes easier to pray. And this verse does not look like an impossible task. You can pray all the time. I love those moments. My chair is about 10 feet. My chair that I sit in at my terminal is about 10 feet from my praying chair. And no one gets to see it very often because when there's distractions, it does dull the spirit. But I love to be doing this. Back and forth, back and forth. Back and forth. I didn't, oh Lord, I want to give you back and forth. It's always hasn't been that way. 
And I want more of that. Amen. I'd rather spend more time there than at the terminal. Because there, he's going to teach me. Right. I'm thankful for this very much, but I want him guiding me into it because when I look around, most men that have gone into it have come out with some of the most horrendous ideas possible. Let him teach. Brethren, do you see that verse, the position that we ought to be in? If we're in that position, Jesus Christ will come to us, deliver us, and have fellowship with us, praying always. We can withstand the devil. Right. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Right. He is a formidable foe, but greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Right. Believe it. Get down on your knees and pray for the Lord to come to you. Pray for the Holy Ghost. Get in a position of prayer. Pray without ceasing. Seek Christ by His Holy Spirit. Brethren, David, Daniel, and the apostles all prayed three times a day. Old Testament, New Testament. Three times a day. And I know that was only formal times of prayer in specific places because it tells us that. They prayed without ceasing. We're working through the book of Acts. I know when we get to it once in a while. We're working through the book of Acts Listen, if we're, if we're not Christ-central, we're not going to understand people that are. That's right. And they were. You know, it's time for Acts 13. In Acts 13, they prayed and fasted, and the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul. Do you know what they did after the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul? They prayed and fasted again. Right. It's amazing verses in the book of Acts. But if you're not living it, you'll hardly understand it. They prayed and fasted. They were told what to do, so they prayed and fasted again. Right. And these are apostles. Wow, what should we be doing before we do anything important? Praying and fasting. And if you really want to find Christ, then we need to pray and fast that he might be found of us. Right. Praying for meals is not what I'm talking about. Amen. I hope that's well understood. It has no spiritual pursuit of Christ to pray before a meal. It's a Christ-like thing to do because he did it. But that isn't what I'm talking about. If Jesus prayed intimately and personally to God, how much more do we need to do that? He He had to go apart at times and pray all night. The Lord Jesus Christ, he prayed all night. Do you pray all night when you wake up? Lord, come to me, help me, bless me with your grace, stay with me, teach me. Drift off again, wake up again. Lord, thank you, you haven't taken me yet. I'm still here, I still love you. Don't leave me, teach me, help me, I'm ignorant. Drift off again. But Jesus prayed all night. He prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. His disciples couldn't stay with him, couldn't, couldn't watch and pray for a little while with him. Can we watch and pray for the Lord Jesus Christ and with him? If Jesus needed to do it that much, how much more do we need to do it? Right. Brethren, I'm talking about praying without ceasing. You don't give up. You don't quit. Our minds are limited. Some of you are half-trackers. Sorry. I mean, some one trackers, multiple trackers. 
You're a multitasking computer and some are not. And so when you're doing one thing and it takes a lot of mental horsepower, a third or a quarter, you don't have any left over for praying. I do not believe that that verse in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 means that we're praying with every single waking thought because our minds are limited. But it means not to give up or quit, but to continue in a course of prayer without stopping or letting anything hinder us from being praying people. When was the last time you panted and groaned after God without a dire emergency in your life? If dire is messing with your mind, I'm going to pull the word, the adjective off. When was the last time you panted or groaned after God without an emergency in your life? Okay, let's pull the word emergency off. When was the last time you panted or groaned after God to know Him? You know what? We sang it this morning. Right. You said that as thirst the heart for water brooks, so pants my soul. Or so thirst my soul, O God, for thee. Another song we sang about panting. When was the last time you panted or thirsted after God? That's the kind of praying I'm talking about. Right. Psalm 42. Psalm 42, you don't need to turn there because we sang it this morning in that number 174 in our hymnals. When was the last time you were really panting and thirsting after God in your prayers? Prayer is the most intimate and personal thing you do with the Lord. Do you love it? For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. I made very little progress this morning in what I thought I would accomplish. But if you will go from here loving Philippians 1.21 and purposing in your heart that you now have a choice before you and you are making it, Jesus Christ is going to be central in your life more than he ever has been before. And you are going to pray without ceasing for him to come in and sup with you and have fellowship with you and to give his Holy Spirit for you to know him more perfectly. I'll be thankful to the Lord. And the Lord will be praised by a congregation truly seeking him. Please take your hymnals. And Brother Newell, would you come and lead us in number 64. Number 64, the Apostle Paul said... God forbid that we should glory, saving the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen.